Good morning, Tripen Jashin readers and listeners. Hope you're all well. This is JJ. Um, I'm with Ellie, and we're here for another of our Friday views. It's our roundup of weekly news from around Cork. Uh, we're going to dig into the long read, which came out last night and should be in your inbox if you haven't got a chance to read it. Well, you have the rest of your life. Ellie, how are you doing? Not too bad, JJ. Not too bad. Looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, yeah, aren't we all? One of the things that I kind of miss, and you probably do too, is, well, do you miss going for pints? I do. I mean, I can't drink for shit anymore, but uh, I do miss going into a pub and meeting other people. The next day, I don't miss that part, but yeah. So obviously the first thing that we're talking about here this morning on the Friday View is on Wednesday, Fall to Ireland finally got around to publishing these operational guidelines for the reopening of hospitality. Uh, So that was kind of obviously uh, long anticipated for a lot of people who've been waiting uh, just for some guidance on how they're going Mm. to be able to operate. So I suppose that's kind of positive overall. But one of the first things that struck me about it is that it just contains this line. It just said no live or loud music. That's it. I got curious because I don't know. I mean, do you know any musicians? I don't, but um, loads of my friends are dying to get back to going to gigs, which I imagine loads of people are. But that's not going to be happening for another while yet, huh? I actually have quite a lot of musicians in my life and I'm really, really conscious that the backbone of music in Ireland is not like this handful of high profile acts that we have. It is the session musicians Mm. and the pub musicians and all of those people. And they have suffered horrifically under COVID-19 restrictions. I mean, they've been given no clarifications whatsoever. You know, they keep saying like, you know, first to close, last to open, you know, that's their impression of what's going on. And Fudge Ireland just have this, just this one sentence saying no live or loud music. Mm. Who did they consult on that? You know, because there's loads of ways that you can have music in a venue that isn't a full band with a kit drum. You know, you could say that, for example, Mm. that you can have acoustic only or that you can have solo acts only. There are loads of ways in which the venues could now be working to really you know, really reintroduce in a very sedate and safe manner. I mean, I think that my understanding of it is that this is all based on Neffet's advice that if you have loud music in a venue, people are going to shout into each other's faces. With a lot of these uh, changes to restrictions, it seems to be about really about your lobbying power. And, you know, those types of musicians don't even really have an effective union in Ireland. They have IMRO, of course, who collect royalties, but they aren't exactly an effective union. I mean, thousands of people's livelihoods in Ireland depend on this type of music provision, not your O2 arena gigs and your mosh pits and all of those things that I know that the department, that Catherine Martin's Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltook, Sport and Media has been working towards, but just your standard run of the mill pub musicians, you know. So I uh, spoke to one Cork venue owner today and uh, they said that they're in a state of extreme frustration at this stage. And I quote, one-off sentences banning any and all live music are not helping. So there's actually a cabinet subcommittee uh, later on today. Uh, So it's expected that by this evening, we might well hear details of further reopening of outdoor events, weddings, sporting events, and those things. So uh, some people are hoping to hear further about live music then. I mean, so I contacted the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwilted, I can't keep saying all that, the Department of the Unprofitable, and asked her 
if they had been in contact with Fulcher Ireland. And apparently Fulcher Ireland did contact the department to ask for an update, but nobody advocated for, okay, well, here's a workaround that would work for musicians. Mm. So, I mean, obviously that's that story is going to keep unfolding and we're going to see further opening up. But I mean, it's really time to include this uh this large group of people whose livelihoods have been decimated, you know, yeah, yeah. hopefully they're going to get a, a look in eventually at some stage. We had a really nice tweet of the week this week, which was Cormac O'Sullivan's footage of the flotilla of fishing boats, the protest that happened on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Our Marina correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> So Cormac was down on the marina and he captured this beautiful footage that we tweeted of the um, the the Irish fishing boats that came right up into the city centre, pulled in alongside the quay, got off their boats and walked to Micheál Martin's constituency office in Turner's Cross to deliver a, a message expressing their frustrations about the overall state of their industry. Mm. Did you see the boats at all? It didn't, unfortunately, I was hoping to get down, so I only saw it through uh, Cormac's footage. Um, but it, as a lot of people pointed out, it was a very pretty protest. It was a beautiful morning as well. Like, you, you just don't see a lot of trawlers, rarely or ever, uh, in Cork, Harbour, um, that far in towards the city. So it, did, it looked great. Yeah, I see two. There's two that I see. There's the Rose of Sharon that I see up down below early in the morning down there on the quays and the fishermen mm. would be out repairing their nets. I was kind of like to see them. I thought it was kind of interesting though because I was asking people what the fishermen were protesting about and it's like as though we have this land-sea divide and if you're a landlubber you really don't know what's happening mm. for the people who work mm. at sea. Like mm. what was your impression of what they were protesting about? Um, yeah, I quickly read up on it and part of it was like the follow up from Brexit and also the fact that like people were showing maps as well, kind of in real time during the protest of, you know, these giant um, factory trawlers or factory boats around the Irish coast, which just suck up everything. But then like there was a bit of pushback as well, saying, you know, um, quite a few environmental activists and journalists and everything were saying, you know, also Irish fisheries, you know, the trawlers, like the, a lot of them are floating EU regulations um, when it comes to what their catch is and weighing their catch, you know, so it's like, it sounds like there is a lot of regulation, but is that regulation being followed, you know? It's an interesting one for sure. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that, that Irish fishermen now only have rights to 16% of the catch in Irish waters. When it comes to what the factory boats are able to do and what the Irish boats are doing, you know, I mean, that there is now this new thing that the EU is imposing, which means that they have to de-ice their entire catch and weigh it at a specific weigh station rather than they used to be able to weigh it going into the processing plant. That's a, an enormously risky undertaking and expensive for the fishermen. And, you know, their argument is that that same oversight is not there when it comes to what these factory vessels are doing. Anyway, will we will we talk about toilets? Let's talk about toilets. It's been a big uh, topic of conversation since the pandemic kind of forced people to find toilets than they would have otherwise because so many shops and cafes and pubs everywhere is closed as we all know um so yeah that was the this was the topic or the subject of this week's long read was on um cork city council's new policy proposals or policy actions or action policies some jargon word that they have for um provision of public toilets back on the agenda I think that this is one of these stories that Tripentrasheen covers really well because it always, as you pointed out in your article, it always gets this kind of jokey 
approach yeah. when you when you read it about about it in the papers there's always this kind of like ho 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 you know like raising a stink and you know like all of these types of puns and headlines but actually it, there are kind of these big much deeper issues about pub, you know the public ownership of things and about access and equality and there's actually quite a lot to this story isn't there? There is yeah and I talked to a few people for it I mean you could talk to a lot more people but I talked to two of the councillors uh, Lorna Borg and and Kieran McCarthy and both of them actually raised the point that like up until the pandemic public toilets or city council operated public toilets it wasn't really much of an issue like and I think it hasn't been for a long long time like for a generation because we've come to assume that you don't rely on the city council or the county council for toilets in general but because the pandemic basically as we all know now it forced it closed everything so um like suddenly it came to the fore you know and they were getting emails and phone calls and it's like where can I go to the toilet? And then on the other hand, Orla Burke, who lives in town and who's quoted in the piece as well, like something she's always been very, very um, aware of. She suffers from inflammatory bowel disease. And like she, so there are times when she desperately has the need to go to the toilet. And like, she's long been aware of where can I go if I'm in the city? And currently there's only three city council uh, operated toilets in the city centre. So the two main points are that they're going to be, any new toilets that they will bring on board or they will open they will be um you'll have to pay to use them um it probably around 50 cents or so and the second point then is you know continued access or support from private businesses which is your shops your department stores your cafes pubs that they will kind of still provide this public service and uh, are they going to be offered any rates, rebates or anything? Because, I mean, essentially what the council is doing there is offloading something that's expensive and difficult to manage onto businesses that then will have to police and manage and staff and clean those. They're essentially saying that, you know, that those that those businesses are providing a public toilet service then. Yeah. Do help us do our job. Or, yeah, no. Uh, in the policy document, there is no mention of rebates. Um, Council McCarthy more or less said like that will be the route that they will take. As I in, think that the, the whole idea that you have to charge 50 cent is so hilarious. Do you remember a couple of years ago, I think it was 2017, where they calculated <laughs> that there was a public toilet in Carrigaline that was yeah. costing 16.50 per use? Did you ever read about that? And I, I think that's also gone out of operation as well, yeah. It, the, the, one of the big problems, I think, and one of the very interesting underlying issues that I think Lorna Bogue deals with really well in this is that there's actually this flaw in trying to run local authorities like profit-making corporate entities all the time. And this kind of neoliberal philosophy that public-private partnership can deliver all of the services that we need. I mean, we can see it failing in housing, healthcare, education, mm-hmm. but it's, it's nowhere more clear than in, I mean, like, the access of public toilets, it cannot be a profitable I mean, business. I, I, it's never I going to be. I don't think there. it's a point of profit, but as Lauren Bo mentioned as well, it's like everything has to have a value, like a monetary value. Like, And the idea for most of the councillors and the council as well is like, we have to charge for this service. It cannot be a service that's free because, you know, possibly it'll, it's a way of kind of disinviting vandalists or etc etc i mean she pointed out that it should be free and her idea would be an honesty box 
So here's an interesting and, and rather sad story, which is that, again, Wednesday. Wednesday was amazing this week. It was an incredible news day. But this is quite a this is quite a, a tragic case that's hopefully coming to conclusion, which is actually a 17-year-old missing persons case in Crosshaven. And they now think that, uh, that they might have actually um, identified the car that matches the description of that of a young fisherman, actually, mm-hmm. uh, Barry Collin, who had gone missing in 2004 and there hasn't been a trace of him since. So uh, Cork Missing Persons Search and Rescue, they were actually trialling a new piece of sonar equipment. So they were just out on an exercise mm-hmm. uh, trying out this equipment in the Onabu River there in Crosshaven, quite close to the pier, which is called the Hugh Coveney Pier. And they identified this object in the water and it turned out to be a car. They called in the Garda divers, Mm. who I think are still working away to recover the car because it's become quite brittle with age. So hopefully this is going to hopefully mean closure for that family, because, you know, that that thing of I think those missing persons cases for years and years and years, I don't think that, you know, that we can really conceive of exactly how awful that actually is for people, you know. So fingers crossed that that that, that has some kind of closure for the family. Like court missing, missing persons search and rescue are completely overlooked cork heroes. <laughs> I actually went out with them on the river before for a feature for the examiner. Oh, out in the River Lee. Yeah, just on an exercise. They weren't on, you know, they're very, very sensitive about how they treat actual live searches. You know, they are working essentially for the family. I mean, one of the people I interviewed for that, one of the the founders of it, really, um, his own experience was that himself and his brother had had to themselves find a missing brother that had gone into the Lee. And after that experience, he said he never wanted anyone else to ever have to do that again. And he wants to do it for them. So, like, I just think that they are really incredible heroes. They're volunteers. They're all volunteers. They're all volunteers, entirely voluntary. If anything happened to my family or your family, Mm. you know, touch wood, God forbid, Court Missing Person Search and Rescue would be there. And they would be there for free and for as long as it takes. Like, they really are incredible, uh, incredible people. And the cliche, the whole unsung heroes, but really they're like... Yeah, I know. Yeah. Very nice thing, though, was that after I wrote that story, because so many people didn't know about them and I just became curious from seeing them on the river so much. It's like, who are these guys? And um, they actually got a a huge wave of um, contributions and donations after that. And they were able to re-equip themselves. They had like leaking dry suits that they were doing Mm -hmm. dives in and stuff. So they ended up being delighted with the coverage. And as a an organization to support, I mm-hmm. think that they are really an incredible like Cork City institution. And speaking of Cork City institutions, let's wrap up with festival season. I think I saw some tweets during the week, some of the marine festivals, is it? Yeah so, yeah, so Cork Harbour Festival is a lovely festival and they're because of how they operate, they're able to bring back rather a lot of live stuff this year because they're they're really brilliant because they're based on a lot of activities. Mm. So a lot of like Mehlmara, the Currickers, you'd know them, your brother's involved with the, I think, them. Yeah, I think basically he's won it every year. 
He's the champion of the Ocean to City, is he? That's the one, Ocean to City, yeah. So the Ocean to City is this the kind of central race that the Harbour Festival is wrapped yeah. around, but there's a lot of other events on the water, off the water, loads of different stuff. And, mm-hmm. and they're, so they're, they're doing some online, but they're doing a lot of live events as well. So they're... Yeah. Yeah. Website is www.corkharborfestival.com and you can check out their full program. I'm sure everyone's going to be itching to get back to just doing stuff. Mm. It's going to be fantastic. And then the other one, of course, is Cork Midsummer Festival, which is kind of the arts festival. You know, slowly easing back into it with a combination of different types of stuff. They're doing some really interesting, like, performance on your doorstep stuff and they're doing a kind of a silent disco. So, so they've used really creative ways of working around the distancing thing again and they're presenting this really big program one of the things also curricing related it's all been about the river today one of the things um, that they have that I'm really looking forward to is they're having uh, a dance performance based on building a curric called Baud Huvon and it's the daughter of one of the people who founded uh, Mehlmara and Nevoga Kirky here in Cork and he had built for his daughter this Kirk and then she's a dancer and she's turned that into a dance piece and I just think that could just be absolutely amazing and there's loads on for that and that's running from the 14th to the 27th of June and again full program up online I've been writing about that all week I think I've written three features about different things that are happening in Midsummer Festival this week so it's good to see though that things are there is things to write about that are outdoors and will be fun and involve people again onwards and upwards and if that's not a good way to wrap up the friday view i don't know what is right me too <laughs> you look really tired by the way you're it's it's all of this long read stuff it's really taking it out of us isn't it it is indeed, but we do it for our audience. We do it out of love, but we also do it because we're desperately trying to prove that there is a market for really good quality in depth, mm-hmm. sometimes investigative, always really engaging, dealing with big topics, local journalism in Cork. That's what we're all about. And if you want to support us in that, and if you believe that that's a, a, a valid thing to be doing, then you should sign up read what we have to offer share it with your friends and also uh, get in touch with us let us know yeah. if you have stories you want us to cover yeah. and join the conversation on our social media which would be at tdrasheen on twitter and type and Rasheen on instagram i believe instagram is your baby isn't it oh, yeah i'm all over we currently have about 11 select curated followers so i come follow yeah, we're not we're not doing so well over on the Instagram. But you know what? I'm very, very proud of us because I was looking back earlier uh, and I was just looking at the very wide range of different stuff that we've covered mm-hmm. so far. We've covered the most incredible array of different things, people, individual people's stories, mm-hmm. but also like issues that everyone cares about in the in the city and in the county. And we want to keep doing that for as long as possible so that JJ can look this tired all the time. <laughs> I'm you might sure. have to have a lunchtime nap today, JJ, I'd say. <laughs> I'll do that too. <laughs> okay, well, everybody, that's been the Friday View. We are Tripe and Rasheen. I'm Ellie O'Byrne and that's JJ O'Donoghue looking exhausted. Uh... Catch you next time. Bye.